All right, everybody, welcome to the 257th edition of the Holy Backboard Podcast. I am Dustin here in Rip City, and I got my man. Sage chilling here in uh, Beaverton, Oregon. Um, about to uh, do the four-hour drive to Medford, Oregon tomorrow, but I'm, I'm here right now talking about these Portland Trailblazers. So you're heading down to Southern Oregon for Thanksgiving, I presume. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in last week's episode, we talked about desserts for Thanksgiving. Now we're going to go savory. What are the top three to four dishes that you were looking forward to eating on Thursday? So, hmm, definitely mashed potatoes. Uh, I always like the green bean casserole with the green beans, the uh, the mushroom soup and those crispy onions where I eat half of them before they go on to the uh, the casserole. Um, we don't, my mom doesn't make this stuffing, but my, uh, when my grandfather was alive, he would make this new England style Chinese stuffing with, uh, you know, new England bread, Chinese sausage, and put it on a walk. He would make that. And it was to die for, um, the family in new, uh, in Providence, Rhode Island owned like the most famous Chinese place in the in the area so anytime you can get something from that restaurant from you know the minds of the people who made food at that restaurant it's always a good thing but stuffing's definitely up there um you know i'm not really a fan of turkey but i I love all the sides turkey's kind of a shit bird that you know takes a long time Uh, i'd much rather have duck than uh turkey for thanksgiving or ham or or chicken, but I guess any other bird besides turkey was dope. But uh, um, let me think. Mac and cheese is always good too. What about you? I would say I've said this before, but my favorite thing on Thanksgiving is actually the, the burrito. Yeah, yeah. I get. I so if anybody is looking to you know throw out the turkey sandwiches, yeah, they're fine. If, you, if you're looking for something fresh, something new, maybe a new tradition. Get yourself a tortilla and put the fixins inside that tortilla. So I'm talking about mashed potatoes, gravy. If you have candied yams or sweet potatoes, uh, if you have mac and cheese, if you have stuffing, if you have your meat, your protein, whatever. And yes, do not forget the cranberry sauce. It all just it all works together in harmony. But but if but if I can break it down, what I what I look forward to. Um, I lo- I love biscuits. So you get the biscuits and then you put a little rosemary on top. That that's the that's the game changer for me. Uh my wife makes a homemade cranberry sauce. I know there's a lot of discourse on Twitter about it's got to be in the can. Get that noise out of here. I got to have the fresh fresh cranberry sauce. Uh that that's a huge thing for me. Uh, like you said, a good stuffing, very hard to come by, but when you have one, and you get it right, it hits it out of the park. And then obviously homemade mashed potatoes, uh, using red potatoes. I keep the skins on, uh, that, that is one of my premier dishes that, that I am proud to say that I can cook and do it well. So, uh, looking, looking forward to looking forward to tasting all, all of the good stuff and all the leftovers that, that come with it. Yeah. I mean, when I when I whenever I think of somebody cooking, the imagery 
of like it's just ingrained of in me of seeing my grandfather smoking a cigarette while like next to the walk. <laughs> that day, if anyone else has their goon goon cooking, smoking a cigarette, and yelling in Chinese, that 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 rings true to you. Like, but I'm very excited. I get to see my mom. Uh, you know, uh, just get to see the family. Get to. Uh, help cook some good food so i'm excited for it um that four-hour drive is gonna kick my ass eventually though Doug. <laughs> you gotta be safe going through the pass yeah, yeah yeah so uh it is going to be 50 degrees and sunny on the pass and the blazers gave their fans a lot to be thankful for early on this week they have continued their hot homestand defeating the Toronto Raptors in, in a crazy fourth quarter, 118 to 113. They followed that up against the Chicago Bulls, uh, a 20-point comeback over the Windy City's finest, who is who are leading the Eastern Conference. They uh, escaped Chicago 112-107, and then they, they, they gave Philly a little taste of their own medicine. Yes, no Embiid, no Ben Simmons, no Danny Green. It's It's been that kind of a season, but Portland did what they were supposed to do, and you should never apologize for a win. They knocked off the 76ers 118 to 111. Sage, the Blazers are now above 500. They are at 9-8 and eight on the season, which is 7th in the Western Conference, tied with the Denver Nuggets, a team that they will see really soon. And you look at the Blazers right now, Sage, eight and one at home, one and seven away. That's kind of been the, the story of the season. But looking back on the week that was, what was your good for the week? I mean, definitely, definitely our uh, us protecting home court is the good for the week. You know, there, there was, it wasn't just easy wire to wire victories either. There was times where the Blazers had to show resistance and resilience against these teams and they did like I, I I thought Chicago had the momentum for the entire game, and then Damon CJ won it for us. So to show some guts at home, getting these wins is a good thing. Hopefully, one of these days we can win on the road like that, showing the guts and glory and all that other those other adjectives about the team. But uh, I'm glad that we got some victories this week because I certainly didn't think we were going to win that Chicago game. Speaking of the Chicago game, my good for the week is Nasir Little's defensive prowess on that final possession against DeMar DeRozan really locked him up, forced him to take a difficult turnaround jump shot, didn't foul him, and it sealed the victory, sealed a a premier comeback victory, maybe Portland's signature win on the young season. And I think it goes beyond one play. I think it goes beyond the box score, goes beyond just one miss from DeRozan. What it does is it builds confidence in this year little. And and I think when you look at this roster, there's a lot of players who are at their capacity. They they don't have much more room to grow. This year little is one of the rare exceptions on this roster where he has the ability to get better and significantly better. We've discussed in the past Sage how Portland really lacks a point of attack defender. I would say Nasir little, if you're just looking at this roster alone, gives Portland the best bet to develop a point of attack defender. So I I thought that was a good step, a really good step in the right direction for for Nasir to not only earn the confidence and trust of of his coaching staff, but his teammates to be out there 
in the closing lineup to be like, yeah, you are there. Like it's just you and Demar on an island. Nobody else is going to come over to help you, and you locked him down. And that's all you had to do was for one play, and he did it. Yeah. Did so was the Demar play before or after the Zach Levine uh, bailout shot? That was after they fouled Larry Nance, and Nance made it a, a three-point game. But this was like one-point game. Yeah, Demar Nas on an island. I remember the the Zach Levine play. The Nas and Larry miscommunicated, and uh, Zach got the most open three-pointer and just biffed it. But yeah, to see to see Nas in high-leverage spots in the last five minutes of a game shows that we trust him and it's only going to be good because he is going to be on this team for at minimum five more years. So to see that from your youngest first round pick is really beautiful. Um, But I would say that another, so I, I had two goods for the week and I kept them in there because they are significantly different. One is off the court. One is on the court. And the other good was Yusuf Nurkic tweeted out that he had got his COVID booster shot. For any of our listeners, you know where we stand on science. We, we are very big fans of science. And it was awesome to see that the team came into the season 100% vaccinated. However, that initial vaccine, if you've had it for six months, it, it's starting to, to wane a bit. And so the NBA is encouraging their players to go ahead and get those booster shots. I think that is going to, well, one, it's it's just great because it sets a good example, right? You want your players to, to be good role models, and that's what the, this team uh, really does. They're, they're just a great representation of, of the community. But it also, you have to, I mean, we are a basketball podcast, so you have to look at it from, from that angle. It gives you a competitive advantage. If you can get your team on board with these continued vaccinations, you can stay healthy, you can avoid all these health and safety protocols that we're seeing a lot of players fall into much more than we saw during the tail end of that 21 season when the vaccine just had started to roll out because it was fresh in your body and the immune system was, was building up. I mean, we, I mean, Sage, it's been, I think Chris Middleton's been in there. You've seen uh, Thibel, we've seen Joel Embiid. I mean, you've seen a lot of big name. Yeah. You've seen a lot of, not only just players, but a lot of big name players miss time in significant time because they're getting the virus. And I know the NBA is upping their testing as the holidays roll around and family is going to be flying in from God knows where. I, I know Nasir Little mentioned last year, he got COVID from his family flying in from Florida. Like they don't know the, the exact point, but that's, that's pretty much where that they traced it to. So you're going to be having people flying in from all different parts of probably the world. And then you're going to go back to your team. So it's going to be so important to not only protect yourself, but you're protecting others. And if you're talking strictly basketball, this, we may be in an era stage where the best team's not going to win the championship. It's going to be the team that can be the smartest and stay the healthiest and play together the longest because when I'm seeing these standings right now, that's what's jumping off at me is you're seeing these teams do well that are able to stay healthy. I mean, we talk Vucevic has missed the entire West Coast road trip for the Chicago Bulls because of health and safety protocols. So I thought that was a really 
good sign for the Blazers, both from a public health perspective, but also from a competitive advantage perspective on the hardwood. Well, I like it. I like it a lot. What was your bad for the week? I don't know if this is bad or ugly, but I only have one negative things because we've won so much. It is laser minute rotations. Obviously, I've had an issue with Yusuf Nurkic not getting enough run. He's played pretty well. And again, like the best game he played, he played 22 minutes. So that was, uh, you know, worrying because we're, we might pay him a lot of money. But I was looking at block basketball reference and I was looking at Damian Lillard because I felt like, you know, that he's been injured this year. He's had the ab. I think it, it's obvious that the ab affects, it, affects how well he played, right? So I was looking to see how many minutes he played with a fucked up ab. And Chauncey Billups, in a competitive game, plays him so many minutes that it makes Thibodeau blush. Like, he, in a competitive game, he probably plays 40 minutes. There are games where he plays 41 minutes a game. And with how much talent we have at the the guards, there shouldn't be a reason that Dame's playing 40 minutes against Toronto, 40 minutes against Chicago. Like, that's a lot of stress on the body, especially when you're injured. I couldn't imagine shooting a jump shot with a fucked up ab than running up and down the court for 40 minutes trying to be the star of your team. So I think the bad and the ugly for me is Blazers rotations with Dame, Norman Powell, and Yusuf. I think that Norm should play some of those minutes Dame is. And I think I think Yusuf definitely deserves more than 24 minutes when he's playing excellent. So you brought up Nurkic, which, which leads me to a question that I wanted to ask you, because I feel like you're more pro-Nurkic than the rest of the fan base. I feel like Nurk is... Oh, yeah, I sport. definitely think I'm is- on the higher side the scapegoat this year. Yeah. Why, why is that? Why are you more, you're willing to support Nurk more than, than the, I would say the average Blazer fan. I don't have a problem with bad body language. If you're doing what you're supposed to do. And I think that Yusuf basically does what is asked of him. I don't have a problem. If like your body language sucks, if you're doing what you're supposed to do and what your role is, I don't have a problem with body language. I mean, of course, Yusuf is going to have those issues where he doesn't hit in a close shot. We know that. That doesn't bother me as much. So when he does what he's supposed to do and it's the surrounding people that give up the points, I can't be mad at Yusuf because he did what he was supposed to do. The scheme is he hedges up high. You know, if Tyree Maxey blows by him on the hedge, whose fault is it really? Is it Yusuf's? Or is it Coach Billups for putting him in that position? Like, he's 7'1", 300 pounds. He's not catching Tyrese Maxey on the on the drive. He has not eclipsed the 30-minute mark nope, not, in not any of the 17 games this year. So that, that is something to uh, take into consideration as the season uh, continues on. I thought it was also interesting. It did work out. There, there was no Covington, no Nurkic in that uh, Toronto game. And... They got away with it. They got the victory. Um, do you think it was the coaching staff taking advantage of the matchups or were they sending more of a message? In game 17, the Blazers coaching staff is trying to send a message to Yusuf that Larry Nance can play. 
it's obvious Larry Nance can't play. We traded a first round pick for him. Um, I think it was more matchup based. The times where I'm more upset is when there's a traditional five on the floor and we don't match him with Yusuf. But when it's Spicy P or Alize Johnson, I get it. Yusuf probably shouldn't be on the floor guarding Spicy P. Spicy P is a four. Like he's a fast athletic four. So I don't I don't have a issue with you know not putting Yusuf in. But when there's you know a traditional center for him to defend, I think it's kind of silly to go the small lineup when uh you know like Andre Drummond didn't really play well in that game. But if we put Larry Nance on him for an extended time, we've seen it a million times where Andre Drummond gets 20 and 20 easily. My bad for the week is playing with fire at home. Yes, the Blazers have won eight straight games. They are eight and one on the season. However, we have damn near given up double digit figures in, in recent games. You looked at, at the Indiana Pacer game, look at the Los Angeles Clippers, uh, Toronto and Philadelphia, like the Toronto game, Portland was literally up 13 points with about six or five minutes to go in the game. And in the bat of an eye, Toronto had that one possession game. Philadelphia had no business making a comeback without all of that talent that we mentioned that was absent. Yet it was a two-point game in the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. So, yes, Portland's winning. Yes, they're they're protecting their home court. However, given the competition in terms of who is missing in terms of superstars from, from the opposition, you would like to see them kind of put that foot on the pedal and say, just shut, shut it down. Say, no, you're not going to make this a game. We're going to get Dame his rest and we're going to get the young players even more playing time because I, I, I know I said you should never apologize for a win. And, and I stand by that, but there is always room for improvement. You know, it's, it's hard to search for a bad when the team goes three, no in the week, but, but I do think there is something there. That's a trend that I've noticed this entire season is there is massive swings, especially at home and Portland's just not able to, to continue with that, that level of play. It kind of tapers on and off. But wouldn't you say that that has been an issue for this team since 2013? Like, I, I remember doing the, having this conversation with you about Terry Stotts being the coach. Like, you know, we don't step on next. And when we do, it's a rare thing. Like, I can remember, like, one or two times where we got to rest Dame with eight minutes left in the fourth. But I can remember plenty of other times where Dame's playing 36, 37 minutes because we can't close the, the – we can't snap the next. We can't make that lead insurmountable with the the amount of time left. So, and I think that's likely due to the construction of Oh of yeah, the jump shooting, man. Yeah, you're you're a small backcourt, really a small 1 through 3, you primarily one through four. die by the by the jump shot and your defense while has shown more, I think energy this year, it, it's still not going to be a defense that can clamp down for continuous stretches yeah definitely so you yeah. said you didn't have an ugly for the week i i, I want to combine bad and ugly with the uh the rotation minutes okay well i have an, an ugly for the week and i think it's something that factors into portland's uncertainties at the general manager position because we're now getting close to december 
trade deadline's about two and a half months away. That is going to be an interesting deadline. Maybe the most interesting deadline this franchise has faced in quite some time. And there are a lot of players Portland has to make decisions on, most notably Yusuf Nurkic and Robert Covington. And I, I say this was my ugly for the week, and it is a bit of a reach because the team did go, go 3-0. But, Sage, is this team any good? Like, it's really hard for me to tell 17 games through the season, one game above 500, they are dominant at home, but just deplorable on the road. And they've also only had probably a couple true tests. And I mean, this is just something we've seen across the league that whether it's health and safety protocols or or injuries, but Portland is not playing teams with their, their full arsenal at them. You know, Portland has been healthy almost the entire season. Norman Powell's missed about two games, but that's about it. Portland has been very fortunate to, to be healthy, but you, you just look up and down who they played. They played the Clippers three times. That's three times without Kawhi Leonard. Chicago didn't have their starting front court within Patrick Williams and Nikola Vucevic. Uh, Phoenix didn't have DeAndre Ayton. Uh, you look at Toronto, who just had gotten uh, Pascal Siakam in, into their rotation. Philadelphia twice without Embiid and Simmons. One time without Harris as well. And then the Nuggets, who we're going to see on Tuesday, but you played them without uh, Porter Jr. and Murray. And yes, some of these are long uh, long-term injuries, but regardless, most of these players are probably going to be back by the time postseason basketball returns. And so it just makes it so hard to tell what would you have, you know, is it gold or is it fool's gold? You know, do you have a cubic zirconium or do you have a diamond? It's really hard to tell right now. And why I think that's difficult is you're going to be making decisions on Covington, Nurkic, and whether to go for it or whether to reel it back in based on how much of a threat you feel like your team can be in the Western conference. Do you think you can win a playoff series or two, or do you think you're just a playoff team? I mean, I think there's no way the Blazers miss the playoffs right now. Like the bottom half of the West is bad. When you factor in the additional two teams into the plan, they're in like, they are going to be in and I could see them going as high as four, just given the the landscape of the conference and all of the other long-term injuries that we have discussed with teams, you know, ahead of them or in their same tier. So there is a lot of wiggle room for this team, but I don't know, Sage, how good this team is. Maybe it's going to be this upcoming road trip. Maybe it's going to be the new year, but the longer it kind of strings out, I think the more difficult it becomes for whoever is that general manager making that decision. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Especially with Neil, like the all of these rumors about Neil, like we need to make a decision. the 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 people in charge need to grow up and make a seemingly pretty easy decision on what to do with someone who's had a toxic workplace from essentially the second he's gotten the job. Like, make that grown up decision so we can make a lot less important decisions in the scope of the world, but important decisions for this franchise. So, I mean, it, it, it all starts with the domino of who the general manager is. And until we make that decision, we're stuck in a weird limbo. And again, playing so well on the, on our home court and so putrid away from the, uh, the RG. It's like, 
what how many decisions do we have to make with not complete evidence so whoever gets that job whether it be danny Ainge, charles lee or whoever has i mean it's not easy for them they got to make some tough decisions and and this kind of uh segues into my next topic about norman powell and whenever i watch him and he's got it clicking it just further cements my stance that this team needs to trade CJ and has nothing to do with how well CJ's played this year. Just the fact that Norman Powell offers Portland a different element at the guard position. His He's got an ability to finish at the rim. He can put the ball on the floor. He really doesn't need the ball in his hands to, to score or to be effective. He's an incredibly efficient shooter, and it just seems like to me he's almost maybe more of our X factor than Yusuf Nurkic because when he has it going, it just seems like this team is so much more difficult to beat. I mean, you look at his, his last two performances, 18 and 17 against Chicago and Philadelphia, respectfully, both six of 11 from the field, hundred percent from downtown. And he got to the line four times in each of those performances. Um, I, I How think many he, rebounds and assists did he get? Uh, he got, uh, he averaged a rebound and a half and two, two dimes. Do you think that if he played his actual natural position, that those statistics would naturally go up? Because he's playing a size up. So it means that every rebound's a lot harder. And he's playing with, I, I think like the last time I checked this, he'd played every minute except like 40 with Damian Lillard. So it's not like he's going to get many dimes with Dame being Damian Lillard. So do you think that those two peripheral stats would go up with him moving down to the position that he was actually made to do? Yeah. And the crazy thing is he's already an undersized two guard. He's six, three, like that is small, even for a shooting guard, but yes, it's much easier to try and box out Bradley Beal than, than Paul George, yeah. the players he's so yeah, I would expect those numbers to go up a bit. I would expect his attempts at the foul line to probably go up a bit, just his overall I think every statistical thing for Norman Powell would go up if he was the two. That said, I think that if Norman Powell was off the team, CJ McCollum's, all of his statistics would go up too. Yeah, I I just, I like the element that Norman Powell gives this team next to Damian Lillard. And this is no disrespect to CJ McCollum, but they're the same player. One just happens to be better than, than the other. Like one version is better. And it just got me really to thinking when, Dame was speaking with Chris Haynes and talking about the, the Phoenix Suns and how, you know, they made a run to the finals. Well, Chris and Devin are completely different. They're completely different. And, and they, they have players who fill the, the role at, as needed. And so it's such a balanced team that maybe on paper, if you just look name by name, it doesn't jump out and say, oh, they're significantly better than the Blazers. But when you look at how they play collectively, and that's what NBA basketball is. That's how the Blazers won in 77. They played collective team basketball. It takes five. You know, I I know more times than not, if you have the best player in the game, you're probably going to win it all. But that best player also has to have players around him that fills those certain roles. Portland needs a couple of roles filled. And Do you think that Dame and CJ complement each other or are – fighting each other for statistics and, you know, touches. I think they cannibalize each other if, if we're being brutally honest, because, and this goes back to 2015, 2016, when CJ and Dame first became the starting backcourt, it was 
why don't they ever have great games together? It's always one and the other goes and chills and says, yeah, do your thing or the other. It's never that they're both, you know, hitting you simultaneously like, you know, Steph and Clay used to because they complement one another. Dame and CJ both need the ball in their hands. They're both most effective with the ball in their hands. Like they, neither is super great playing off ball. Like why I think Norman Powell works better. He compliments, he plays, I think a little bit better defense. I think he's better. He's a, he may not be better at creating his own shot, but I think he makes quicker decisions with the basketball and he's a quicker line drive dribbler to the basket. Like he just makes, puts his head down two dribbles. He's, he's at the cup. And you can live with Norm Powell taking 11 shots. If CJ is only taking 11 shots, you're kind of like, what's going on? Like CJ needs more shots. Like that's just his game. But if Norm Powell takes, that's fine. Because then you've got, you know, probably 10 other shots to go to whoever you've got at the three or the four. So just, you know, seeing how this team is is coming together, especially Norman Powell, how he's starting to find a rhythm with, with the bunch. It just, it further cemented that, you don't need to maybe get like a home run player for CJ. Like let's just try to balance out the roster and see what that looks like, because you're seeing how Nasir little playing the small forward as you know, he, he should be, he's thriving. He's doing good things there, but you know, you kind of have to, that's, that's, that's kind of where the coach and the GM work hand in hand is who do we need to fill this spot? Like, you know, you need different archetypes of players. You know, you've got your superstar and leader in Damian Lillard. How are you going to fill the rest? Like you need point of attack defender. You need some more, more length, you need more size. You need, you know, better perimeter defense. Like who can you find to fill those rather than, Oh, this guy's six, three, he can fill it up. Let's go grab him. And that just kind of seems to be the strategy. And that's kind of where, where the roster is at right now. So like, I don't know if there's any moves, that make this team a championship contender, but you certainly can elevate your ceiling significantly. If you just balance it out and you say, Dame, this is your best shot. Here you go. Ride with it. Yeah. Yeah. Ride with what Lillard can give you. So I know this isn't the most relatable thing, but so in DFS, there's two ways of building lineups. It's by hand or by computer. I used to be a by hand guy, but, I won once or twice a year, and that's not good enough. So now I've learned how to do math and computer shit. In the set a system that I use, there's rules that you create, so the calculator will never put those things together. Damon CJ is a hard and fast rule that I never have a lineup with Damon CJ because they never do well at the same time. So I, I like. I feel like CJ is a great player, but just because of who, what his body type and skill set is, it just doesn't work. Like, I'm I'm willing to take someone worse, like in in a vacuum for CJ. It just has to be the right thing. But would that person, if you got to choose, would that person be a four? Because you know, we move, we're trading CJ and we have Norm, so this would be like a a really good thing for Norman Powell's production, like we've talked about. You, we need to get Nasir Little minutes. Robert Covington has been pretty disappointing for the amount of trade assets that we gave away, and then use of Nurkic, it doesn't really matter. 
is that person that we could bring in a four or a five for uh, to match with Damien? I mean, you you basically did process of elimination right there, and the four standing alone, right? Yeah. Centers just aren't a hot commodity unless your name Joel Embiid or Nikola Jokic. Mm-hmm. You have your small forward right now who is kind of starting to fit into that Mikel Bridges role in, in this year little. And you have Norman Powell, who's ready to slide right over to his natural two-guard position. And five up, years. Five years. Up for five years, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, the four is a clear answer. And, like, even if it's – and I'm just going to throw out a name because I don't I don't think it's that player. But even if you just get a guy like Sadiq Bey, just somebody who's going to play defense, make threes, and rebound the basketball, right? You know, who's going to not take 15, 20 shots and you're able to spread those shots around and you're more of a balanced team. You start to match up better with teams because one thing I've noticed during this season is Portland has struggled against teams with size. You look at that Chicago lineup, had they had Vucevic and Patrick Williams, it probably would have been curtains a lot earlier, but their three big guards gave Portland fits. That Caruso, uh, Caruso just devastated us with his energy. So you look at Scotty Barnes and OG Ananobi just looks so fluid out there. Nobody was even like, he looked so unbothered against, against Portland and they had Siakam, Scotty Barnes. Like they, they had a lot of size in that gave Portland fits. And just think about our defense. CJ and Norm are responsible for tagging the, the rolling big. Don't you think it would be more efficient defensively to have, like you said, Sadiq Bay tag the rolling big instead of CJ McCollum? Like size has a lot to do with that in basketball. And I think that's the most obvious point we've ever made in this podcast. But having correct size players makes everything a lot easier. So having four of your six best players, six three guards, is a fun thing to do if you're playing 2k in a sim game in a simulation thing sure but in reality to try and make damian lillard block three shots in a game because that was the role that he was put in it happens sometimes but i would much rather bet on sadiq bay or let's pick another detroit piston jeremy grant making that Ooh, making that defense here making the defensive stop rather than CJ McCollum, which I think is just like a, a randomness game. Are you going to hit that right number? Is the RNG of this play going to work in our favor? So yeah, like I, I, I get that CJ has done a lot of great things, but it, it's time to get properly sized players. I wouldn't I, I would kind of be upset if we traded CJ McCollum for Sadiq Bay, but I get the thought exercise that you were trying to do. Um, so we talked about Yusuf Nurkic and you having a differing thought on him compared to, I think, the majority of the fan base. Mm-hmm. There's another player who I think you have a differing thought on compared to the majority of the fan base. And that's Larry Nance Jr., who has been kind of the talk of Blazer Twitter. He's had three uh, really efficient games going 16 of 21 in the homestand so far. Uh, he's rebounding the basketball, uh, stealing. He's kind of all over the place and in, in the finishing five more times than not. But 
when I talk to you, I don't get the sense that you are as in love with Larry as the rest of the fan base is what's your thought process there. He doesn't actively annoy me watching him play basketball because I think that he has gone gotten over his extremely passive streak. Like he's actually taking and shooting jumpers. And I think that's important, but I, I think that he is a good player. I don't know if the fit fits with this team because of his lack of shooting. I, I, I think that he is a good player. I just don't know if he fits with Portland and their whole spread the floor uh, type of game. But I, 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 if he was on Minnesota with a shooting Carl Anthony Towns, I think he'd be fitting like a glove. I just don't know if the fit's right, but I am starting to think that he isn't as bad as he was at the start of the year. He is getting more familiar with you know, what he is asked to do. Because it definitely seems like Nurk and Nance don't share the floor together. It's no. one or the other. Yeah, I, I think that you can't have two of Larry Nance, Yusuf, or Cody Zeller on the floor, if you really think about spacing. And I know that Co- um, Cody and Larry play some minutes together. Um, but... In, in terms of pure spacing, I think that that's problematic. Um, that's not right. One second. I'm looking to see. I am actually now curious. Larry. Let's see if Yusuf and Larry have played a second together. So Larry Nance and Yusuf Nurkic have played 31 minutes together on the floor. And they have resulted in yikes. A negative, uh, a, ne- a plus minus of like negative 15. So I'm glad that we have tried it, realized it failed. But I, I think that you have to really take a look at like what spacing is on the court. And we we have some real big non-shooters. So Chauncey Billups just has to be aware of that. And that I think that's really why I don't like Larry Nance as much as I thought I would. Cause I enjoyed him in Cleveland. Like I thought he was their best player, but when you have Dame and CJ and Norm taking up a lot of the usage, they really rely on these players to when they get the ball to shoot it because it's generating a, it's generating a good offensive possession for them. And earlier in the year, it was just like, this dude never shoots the ball. He's in a plus 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 matchup and just doesn't shoot the ball. Now, at least he is, but now it's just like, Man, I'm looking at what we've invested in these players, and it's like, man, if 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 we resign Yusuf, like Larry Nance is gonna just destroy every bit of utility he has. So, but uh, yeah, I, I I'm really happy when he does well, but I think that there's more times he doesn't do well than does well. Dribble, pass, shoot. 
is Damian Lillard back after a 39-point performance against the Sixers in which he got to the line 14 times, handed out seven dimes, three blocks, and shot 39% from three. It was a season-high 39. It felt like it was one of those days where I'm like, okay, how much Damian Lillard do I have in daily fantasy? Shoot, only 18%. Um, I don't know if he's back, but he has looked a lot better in the last week, maybe that that one game off has done him some real good with his, his his ab, but I'm happy to see that he's doing well. But that ab might flare up at any time, so I don't want to declare him back and then just see him raving at his stomach when he goes up for layup. But it was really nice. I think he did hit that that fifth gear sometimes. So are you dribbling that? Yeah. Okay, follow-up, dribble, pass, shoot. The Blazers should rest Damian Lillard on every back-to-back, at least one, uh, the front end or the back end, through the, throughout the end of the regular season. I uh, Is this Coach me saying this? Or? Yes, this is you. Okay. You're the coach. Not every, but I would like to see it more than once or twice a year. I mean... I think it would be good to give these other guards more empowerment over the team with their, their usage. So I think that it's a good idea to give CJ his time to shine, Norman his time to shine, Ant his time to shine, Nasir his time to shine. But I don't know if I could do it every game. I don't think Chauncey Billups is going. I don't think Chauncey Billups would either. I'm shooting that. We have seen time and time again, whoever the coach is – run Lillard into the ground, just chasing a regular season seed and game running out of gas in in the playoffs, whether that's in the Western conference finals in 2019 or in the bubble against the Lakers in 2020, just to get the Blazers to that eighth seed running out of gas. If it costs you a seed or two, so be it, but that's what the good teams are doing. They are making sure that their superstars are ready to roll when it matters most. Also, I think you need to find the most favorable matchup and say, Dame, okay, you're going to sit against Sacramento or you're going to sit against, you know, Detroit or whatever. And you have to really put the onus on Ant and CJ and Norman say, okay, here, here's your, here's your lion's share of, of usage. Have fun. Go, mm-hmm. go, go do it. Like they, they are enough of a veteran team where, they should know when to expect it and they should be ready to go. Like this isn't just like Memphis saying, okay, we're, we're doing this with John Morant. And then, you know, you've got, you know, Tyus Jones being like, what the, what the fuck do you want me to do now? So this is a team that has guards that are ready to go, ready to shoot, ready to score, ready to perform. The Blazers, it, it doesn't matter, Sage. They could have the number one seed going into the playoffs, but if Damian Lillard isn't as close to 100% or have all that gas filled up in his tank, they, they could lose in round one or round two. They they really need to try something different this year, and that's why I would be so in favor of giving him a lot of rest because this is a player who is old school. He has worn the 82 games played as a badge of honor. I just given the lack of top end support that he has not had throughout his, his tenure, he needs to take a step back in the regular season and and really make sure that he is ramping up towards the playoffs rather than trying to stay afloat as the most important games of 
of the year are about to, you know, go underway. So we've been talking a lot about usage. I have pulled up the top usage players. Who do you think the top uh, five are in order? In the NBA? In uh, For the Blazers. Real players that play in the rotation. Greg Brown has a really high usage rate, but he doesn't count because he's okay. played 30 minutes. Dame, CJ, Ant, Norm, and this year? You're very close. Do you want to change the fifth one? Is it Yusuf Nurkic? Yeah, it's Yusuf Nurkic. Like, it, it's kind of crazy that Dame and CJ, when they're on the court, that's 50% of your rebound, of your points, attempted shots, assists, and turnovers. That's a lot of reliance on two players for 50 plus percent of the offensive uh, when they're on the court. That's pretty, that's pretty a lot. I, I was looking at that because I was like, I really want Norman Powell to have a bigger part in this offense, but it, it is, it is tough for him because I, when you watch Norman Powell, he doesn't take shitty shots. Everyone else does. Like the, the three guards, I think I think we need to put Anthony Simons in the same category as Damon CJ. Those three are very similar. And I, I know that the athleticism in theory should make Ant different. But think about the way he plays. Those three are really similar. Very similar. I mean, like, that's d- why I've been, you know, advocating for removing two of the guards. You you really help out the rest of the roster because there, there is a chance. Like, like I said, this season and, and probably moving forward for the foreseeable future, as unfortunately more pandemics become more prevalent, it's going to be the teams that can stay healthy, the teams mm-hmm. that can can find some sort of chemistry. And if you can balance your roster out and be be good enough, raise a banner. Look at mm-hmm. look at Phoenix. I wouldn't say that Phoenix their roster is a championship roster, but in today's NBA, given everything that's going on, it is, they stayed healthy. They stayed together. They just were good enough. So do you think Ant and uh, um, Dame can play? Are they too correlated together? Are they too similar to work? So why I, I don't love Dame and Ant at this point of Ant's career is Ant is not a, a shutdown defender. He's not, I wouldn't say he's he's there yet. If Ant were to be more aggressive, taking the ball to the basket, using his athleticism, I think you could get away with it just because that's that's a different element, his athleticism that no other guard has on, on our roster. But if he's going to just, you know, one dribble pull up like he's been known to do and kind of relied upon, I, I don't think it, it works too much. You, you really need someone who's going to play defense and doesn't need the ball in their hands a lot. But one thing I will say about Ant in favor of him is he does make quick decisions with the ball. Like he gets it, you know what he's going to do. Like he, he doesn't waste dribbles. So Ant currently drives it four times a game. Um, Nas does two, Robert does one. Tennis Smith does five, Norm does six, CJ's nine and a half, and Dame's 13. 
I agree that if Ant used that God-given athleticism, I think he could be different. But as of right now, it's just like a once a quarter thing. He drives the hoop. But seeing Nas only driving two and a half times per game, does that surprise you with how what his skill set is as well? It does, but I think that's only going to increase with just more with minutes. More minutes, and you can just almost tell in this week, he's had a lot of dribble drives that have led to jams. He's starting to become more confident in that aspect, putting the ball on the floor. And as you get more time and more rhythm, you start to like open up your bag a little bit more and say, okay, let me try this. You know, I've got, I've got this in my bag rather than just like, okay, usually when a young player comes in, they're probably thinking, don't fuck up, don't fuck up, don't fuck up. And now it's like, okay, cool. I'm playing well. Now maybe I'll catch and shoot. That goes in a couple of games. Now I'm going to start my dribble drive and I'm going to finish. And it, then it starts to put together and like, okay, I'm, I can do all this. Like I, I'm a bad dude. And you so, start to really believe in yourself. And that's that's what makes the great players great is the confidence. Confidence separates everyone. So if Ant was to be the the guy that Dame plays with, you know, the, the pairing, how many times does he have to drive per game? Right now he's at four. How much more does he have to drive? He's got to double it at least. So eight times a game. I mean, yeah, CJ's nine and a half, so he's got to at least yeah, hit that nine yeah. and a half mark. Yeah. Do you think that he could double the times that he drives per game, or is he kind of set on the shoot from the outside more than drive? I mean, I, I'm not inside Anthony's mind. I don't know. And what do you think Nasir would should be in drives per game? He's. I'd like to see him get five. Yeah. He's got two. Like he's a big body. I know he's only six four. Six five, but he's a big body. He's bouncy. He's athleticism, and he kind of just has a tenacity to him, where he knows he wants to attack the rim and finish with some ferocity. Because if you go against the world's greatest athletes on the basketball floor, you have to go up there strong. If you go in weak, it's going to get sent back, and you're going to be on. You're going to be on a highlight for the wrong reason. You're going to be on the different end of a top shot, a dunk or a block. It's a thin line between greatness and, you know, embarrassment, man. So I get it, but I I would really love it if our athletic specimens could uh, attack that basket with more ferocity. So who on this team pairs well with Damian Lillard? It seems like right now it's Norm Powell. I wouldn't say Robert Covington right now. Because he's not helping anything really. Uses sort of. Is Norman Powell the best fit for Damian Lillard? If you were building a 2K roster, who are you keeping on this team besides Norman Nasir to pair with Dame to make Ooh. Damian Lillard the best that he can be? Who are you keeping? I'm definitely keeping Norm. Definitely keeping Nasir. I, I think he's those are the easy picks. I think you can keep Larry Nance if you, if you a move Nurkic for a more uh, stretch five. I think you can keep Nurkic if b you have a more stretch four. So they have to figure one or those two out before you can say yes. I'm definitely keeping Larry Nance or I'm definitely keeping uh, Yusuf Nurkic. I think you can probably keep Anthony Simons as a sixth man. Um, they just they just need a little bit more more depth too because then once you start thinking about it, like Cody Cody Zeller really does nothing for me, 
neither does Tony Snell or Ben McLemore. Like they're going to need a little bit more depth, but I think first and foremost, you have everything covered. You have your superstar, you have your top, top 10 player in Damian Lillard. Then you just kind of, okay, now let's finish your starting five, get that. And then you can start to go into the bench and that, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. This is probably going to take a, another year if somebody ever gets in charge and makes, makes a decision, but Portland does have some movable pieces that that they should look to move that fit with, with Dame. Like the Suns went out and said, who do we need for Devin Booker? Ricky Rubio wasn't doing it. Let's find Chris Paul. Oh, and Chris Paul is also going to make life easier for DeAndre Ayton. Jay Crowder, he has got finals experience. He's tough. He can hit threes with the best of them, plays defense. I mean, they, they went out and just made the moves that really nobody wanted to make. Nobody was going to touch that Chris Paul contract. We're like, yeah, we, we want it. We need it. Yeah. They, they made a really good draft day trade, I believe, in 2019, where they, they added a role player in Dario Saric, and they traded down and got Cam Johnson, who is now a really good role player for them, for Jarrett Culver, who was basically out of the league. So at the time, I was like, what are you doing? But James Jones it has been – all it takes is just hitting a couple of singles, a couple of doubles – and then going and getting your guy. Chris Paul was everything that put all of those pieces together. Portland still needs to find, still needs to find that Chris Paul trade. So I was looking at Ant and Dame. How much, so how much do you think those two play together? Just those two on the court? On a per game basis? I I have total minutes. Oh, I have no idea of total minutes. But like (laughs) a fifth of the, time sixth of the time fourth a third let's just do fractions how much do you think those two play together making me do math way too late at night do you think they play together a lot yes or no no okay yeah they don't they play about 15 percent of the total minutes together on the court so doesn't that kind of prove that ant at this current version of ant doesn't play well damian lillard when a guy like Chauncey Billups, who has some fucked up rotations, doesn't really like putting Dame and Ant together. I mean, shit. There's a lot of players on this team that don't fit with the superstar. And I don't want to include like Cody Zeller or Tony Snell, Ben McLemore. Those guys are one-year rentals. They don't matter in the long-term scope of things until they get a second contract with more years attached to it. They're just rented assassins. But when, when you got a guy that's been hyped up in the media for, you know, his, his sophomore junior year being like the most talented player that he's ever drafted. It's like, damn, man, we can't even play them together at this current rate. That's, that's not good team management. Like, I know his whole thing is it's not the roster's fault. Man, the roster's at fault because Chauncey or Terry Stotts doesn't have to do funky-ass rotations. He doesn't have to be forced to play Damian Lillard 40 minutes to win a competitive game if our roster was good. I thought I was flowing for a second. I've been listening to too much John Connor. 
We have a fan question that I keep forgetting to get to. It came in after one of our uh, recorded episodes, and I meant to get it, but I'm going to get to it now. And it still rings true even two two weeks in, in the running. So I apologize for the delay, but it comes from Georgie uh, no, <laughs> Stoymanov. So apologies if I mispronounced your, your last name, but... This question came in 13 days ago, and I think it's, it's it's still relevant. So he says, a lot has been made on the slow start. Can you both run a comparative analysis between uh, Chauncey Billups and other new coaches in the league, like first-time head coaches, like Anime Udoka, for example? Like, are there trends or similarities between the Blazers and those teams? Well, I mean, Willie Green is also a first-year head coach. He, let me think. So a trend that I've seen with Boston, yeah, Boston has a new head coach, right? Anyway. So so does Indiana. Indiana is 7-11. and 11. Boston's had a real difficult time getting rebounds. We Boston have Boston is 9-8. and eight. New Orleans sucks. New Orleans has not had Zion Williamson the entire year, and... They, they, yeah, but they, and Brandon they, Ingram's had a really bad hip issue. So yeah, I guess uh, Dallas, yeah, and we is, suck. Dallas is nine and seven with, with Jason Kidd at the helm. Um, is this Billy Donovan's first or second? No, year second. Second. Okay. So I, I think comparing Chauncey to Rick Carlisle has some similarities in that both of those coaches are kind of <clears throat> putting less responsibility on their stars. Like Demonis <clears throat> hasn't really hit a ceiling game this year because Malcolm Brogdon is uh, assisting at a high rate. So there's some similarities between those two. Hmm. I kind of Wes Unsell Jr. is doing a great job. In oh, well, yeah. Wes is doing a great job. They're playing really hard defense. So I kind of see the most similarities to Indiana and Portland. Like Willie Green, I think is doing a great job, but they haven't been healthy. I've, I've, like they have not played a full one game with their starting, you know, their starting pieces. So they're kind of not ready to be compared to anything. Wes Unsold's got those guys playing defense. Like Bradley Beal's playing defense. They're one of the best defensive teams. So I don't think that they could be put in the same analysis as the Blazers. I kind of think that Indiana would be the closest, and it's not a first-year head coach. He's been on the team forever, but he's new to this situation. And I think the main thing that those two have in common is for a long time in this year, they've kind of played their stars a lot of minutes, but they haven't given them the responsibilities that they're used to. So... Mm. I would say it's still too early to make any sort of two weeks you know, ago, totally comparisons. And, and I say that just because if you look across the league, it's just such a strange year. You go out East, you have the Eastern conference runners up in the Atlanta Hawks at eight and nine currently out of the playoff position. Uh, Philadelphia has been just ravaged with injuries and the health and safety protocols. They're just a game above 500 same, same as the Boston Celtics who were considered to be you know top four top five team in the Eastern Conference uh you look at the Lakers nine and nine LeBron's been hurt uh, just there's been so many injuries 
there have been so many people missing games because of the coronavirus. You're just now trying to get into a new, a regular season. I know that it is, but like trying to get into normalcy, but it's, it's never going to be, I think like it is. And you're just, I, th- I think that's what you're seeing. Like you're seeing the officiating playing a, a, a major role in how the games are, are being the flow and how p- players are performing. There's a new basketball. I mean, there's just so many factors that are playing a role in how teams are performing that, you know, I, I really think we may, may even need a whole season before we, we can make any sort of comparisons between the coaches, because they're, this is probably the most surprising season that to start that, that I can think of in, in recent memory, just looking at the standings, like I would have never guessed in a million years that the Washington wizards would be 11 and five right now. In and Bradley Bill's been out for a while. Daniel Gafford's been out. And they're still winning. They're, they're still finding a way. And maybe it's just because it's regular season and a lot of, you know, main players are out. But that's kind of what it's going to be, I think. That's my prediction uh, moving forward. Uh, Sage, let's so take a look second, at... So, one second. Would you take any of the new hires? Like, is there any of those new hires and their staff that you would, wouldn't take over Chauncey Billups at this current moment as a, as a head coach? Who I wouldn't take? Any of those new hires? I wouldn't take Jason Kidd. Uh, oh, I've yeah. read enough. But about he doesn't him. count. <laughs> he shouldn't count. But yeah, yeah. I mean, J- Jason Kidd is who I wouldn't take. Yeah, but I, I like all the newer, all the ones that don't have weird charges attached to them. I would take in a second over Chauncey. And it's, I mean, like, X's and O's I don't like. Yeah, sure. But it's how they talk to people. Like I really don't like how Chauncey is addressing his team in the like superiority and the outward blaming of players. I just don't get, I don't like it. So like X's and O's wise, I'm not feeling it. And definitely personality wise, I'm not feeling it. All right, Sage, as we wrap it up, let's take a look at the upcoming slate of games. We had already discussed Denver on last week's episode. I don't think much changes. I think how Portland deals with Jokic's size is going to be basically the entire story. That game will be on TNT. Do you think uh, he plays? Like, does he match Jokic? He sure didn't in, in the game in the Mile High City. He got absolutely outclassed. I think a key to the game is, and it almost goes back to when the, the Blazers used to play the Bulls, and you had Clyde Drexler who just really wanted to prove that he was on the same level as Michael Jordan. And at times during those matchups would go out of his game, go out of his way to maybe take some shots that he shouldn't and and try to match MJ bucket for bucket. And that's not how you, how you beat that Chicago team. Yusuf does not need to try to match Jokic, you know, magical pass for magical pass, you know, three for three. Nurkic just needs to play. If, if Portland can get away with Nurk just staying on the island and defending Jokic, that's a win. I, I don't care what Nurk gives you offensively. If he can just go mano we mano and, and make Nikola take tough jump shots over him without fouling, because if you double Jokic, it's over. It is a wrap. Game, curtain, blouses. Let's move on to the road trip because he will pick you apart like no other big in probably 25 years. Yeah, I mean, we can kind of assume that Jamal's out, and I haven't heard anything about uh, 
Michael Porter Jr. coming back. Have you? So it's it's like Jeff Green and Bones Highland and Monte Morris. Like I know that sending doubles off of <clears throat> onto uh, Jokic is a bad move. But what if it's a bad shooter that we're testing? Like, do you really do you fear Austin Rivers making a a a, a wing three after last postseason? Absolutely. But that was like sealing Austin. I he did it though, yeah. and then that that was that was a series. But right you got you got to test Austin's shot. You got to test to see if Bones Highland is hitting shit from the Moda sign. You got to test this shit. So I think I mean I'm always a fan of sending help when help is needed but if you if yusuf can make it tough on nikolai i think it's that's a dub but he did not play he is he's had a wrist injury he did not play in their game against phoenix today so we'll see if he plays on the the 23rd i mean but it's a prime time game yeah yeah you you i would assume he would be back yeah if he was questionable and didn't play. Um, I'm so, just going to look for the, the size. Aaron Gordon and Jokic is a really tough matchup for our forward and center combination. Yeah, I remember that. Uh, oh shit, was it this weekend? I think it was this weekend. Yo, like uh, Luca was out, Katie was out, uh, like all these star players were out. So I had like an infinite number of Nikola Jokic, but then I saw one thing on on Twitter from like someone who was respectful, respectable and said he might not play. I was like everything to James Harden. So now, yeah, I do remember that Joker didn't play a few games this week, but I assume that they'll play, he'll play on a, a national TV game. I think this is going to be the most challenging week. No, I wouldn't say of the schedule since but- last week but it's going to be one of the more challenging weeks of, of the season for, for the Blazers. Not only is it a three game road trip, but they play games on Thanksgiving Eve and on black Friday that, that the focus has to be there for this team. Uh, Wednesday, they play the Sacramento Kings on the road who are now going to be dealing with a, a new interim head coach and in Alvin Gentry after uh, Luke Walton was fired. This is a Sacramento team that, handed Portland their lunch on opening night, gave Portland their only home loss. Harrison Barnes had a career night. Sacramento ended up winning 124 to 121. You mentioned Tyrese Maxey turning the corner on De'Aaron Yusuf Nikic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fox was having his way as well. So this, this Kings game is going to be one to watch for. Like, can Portland finally get a road victory that means something? Or are they just going to keep, you know, racking up the, the losses away from the Rose City. And I mean, like, I've watched Alvin Gentry coach teams for a long time now. One thing that I can guarantee is if Alvin has his sit system, he is going to do some really creative shit with De'Aaron Fox, putting him, like, forcing the switch onto Yusuf. Like, I have a feeling that he's going to be driving at the rim at will. So it's, it, it, can Chauncey Billups hang with an offensive? Like, can he and Roy Rogers draw up a scheme or multiple schemes that can stop someone like Alvin Gentry? And I know that Alvin Gentry isn't the most like high praised offensive head coach, but that man knows how to drop an offense. So, I mean, shit, he beat us 
like i think i think the alvin gentry thing is going to be huge like do how how are these players going to fight for this new coach so so it's a lot of interesting things with this kings game and just because the kings are a bad team they still score at will that's the thing they can't play defense but they can score so who's going to play defense first between these two teams is going to be that 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 question that answer that determines the entire game. You know, it may be can Larry Nance keep Rashawn Holmes off the glass. That may no. be the deciding factor because if you can go without use of Nurgic and essentially do what you did against the Raptors, I think that bodes well for Portland. I hope that we learn something. Don't test Harrison Barnes with wide open threes. Yeah, Robert Covington needs to stick. Stick but, to stick to Harrison Barnes. Don't do anything else. Just face guard him the entire possession up and down the floor. Like that needs to be, that needs to happen. Don't help out. Just stay there. I don't uh, shit, man. Is that scheme though? It's that that, that he need, it needs to be adapted. You you say you do not let this happen again. You tell Robert Covington, stay on. HB don't don't move you face guard him like there's a you know video on Twitter where you just like see these little kids playing basketball and there's you know the little kids just hands out and he's not even paying attention to the basketball he's just looking his his opponent directly in the eyes play that type of defense man I I don't see it happening <laughs> well then there could be another loss on the horizon on the road because we we've already seen it happen once uh and then probably the most difficult game on the schedule against the best team in the league right now in the Golden State Warriors, and it is on Black Friday. Is it in, in Oakland? Bay, in the Bay Area. Ooh. Yeah, these are all, all on the road. So, I mean, this is the game that I'm looking forward to the most. I want Dame-Steph games are always super fun for me to watch, but how does Portland defend Curry, who moves so well off the ball, what do they do with Draymond? I mean, you're getting such good performances now from Jordan Poole, Gary Payton the second off of the bench. Uh, they've they figured the same. They figured this thing out. Like they have found that love and feeling all over again. They know they're contenders. They are locked in. You're not going to get a night off Draymond. He's he's back. Mm-hmm. And best defensive team in the league. Steph Curry's arguably the MVP of the first 20% of the of the season. So uh, he's given Portland that work before. I think it was like 62 last mm. season in, in the Bay, and Portland has a hard time chasing him around. So, uh, what are you gonna what are you gonna watch for in the, in this matchup stage? I think that the the most telling thing is how are we going to score on the best defense in the NBA? Like they clamp the fuck up. So. I'm worried about us being able to even compete with Steph Curry on the, the offensive end. Like I think Dame needs to take this one and kind of go super Saiyan because I don't think that we're going to score you running our actual, you know, offense. I think he might have to go rogue and try and win this himself because I don't see the base offense doing it. I mean, Draymond green is like a defensive genius. He's seen everything. So you have to go a little off, uh, you know, you have to do something different to surprise him. I think that Damon Steph is going to be the matchup to watch, but I am worried about their defense against us. So you go from Golden State, 
who is a league best 15 and two to Utah 11 and 11 and five, you know, golden state's nine and one at home. Utah is six and two at home. Utah is on Monday. It's the end of the road trip. It's a place that has been tough on Portland. They go as Donovan Mitchell goes. What are you, what are you looking for in, in this matchup? They also have one of the best six man in the game in Jordan Clarkson, who gave Portland a trouble last year as well. Well, We've always had trouble against those water bug quick guards, and Jordan's all about that. But the the matchup that interests me the most is Yusuf Nurkic versus Rudy Gobert. I don't know if you've noticed, but Rudy Gobert's been putting up some really awesome stats recently. So how how many minutes is Chauncey Billups going to give to Yusuf to attempt to guard him? I don't see Cody Zeller having much success against Rudy Gobert. I don't see Larry Nance Jr. having very much success against Rudy Gobert. I think it's all up to Yusuf Nurkic to try and stop the rim runs, the rebounds, the block shots. Like we have those, the 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 point guard in the center are the things that are going to kill us. And I'm really worried about our bigs. I, I could see Rudy Gobert going for like 20 points, 20 rebounds against us. They also play Hassan Whiteside quite a bit too. And Larry Nance isn't quite the five that is going to make Portland or make Utah pay for playing Hassan in that matchup. So th- this is it kind a, of is perfect for Hassan. If you really think about it, yeah. a guy that can't stretch the floor who he gets to pack the paint. Yeah. Absolutely. They also added Rudy Gay, which I really liked. He's uh, I think he played his first game today or yep yeah like so that's a whole new weapon that hasn't been scouted yet yeah you know who Rudy Gay is but you don't know what Rudy Gay is going to do on this particular team so that's kind of scary yeah I think we've seen teams pick apart Portland's defense off of multiple passes uh so I would really watch out for guys like Bogdanovich Royce O'Neal uh, Joe Ingles, the recipients of the the final pass around the horn. If those guys have a good night from three, it, it could be lights out. And mm-hmm. what I really am going to be paying attention to is, you know, these teams at home are going to make a run. How does Portland respond? They seem to have all the energy in the world on their home court. However, on the road, they seem to fold as soon as the team punches them in the mouth. What's going to happen? How are they going to... How are they going to react? And, and, and I think, Sage, if they come back winless again on the road, it doesn't really matter what they're going to do at home. I think that they'll really need to look in the mirror and make some changes. But again, it all goes back to who is even in place to make those changes. So it's a really tough situation to be in if just, you're a fan of this team because clearly they haven't figured out how to play with poise on the road. And I'm, you know, I hate to break it to you, but half of your games are away from your home court. And just think, we're playing Denver. We would like to be able to get the tiebreaker against them. We're playing Utah. We would like to get have one win to start. I mean, I, I feel very confident in us winning at home. So if we can win on the road, we get that tiebreaker. I mean, if what we're thinking is playoffs, seeding matters, and these games matter. So especially against division rivals, having the tiebreaker against them is really important. So hopefully they come out and get some wins against on the road against some pretty difficult teams. All right, Sage, I think that about wraps this one up. Let our listeners know where they can find the Holy Backboard podcast. 
We are available on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Himalaya Podcast, Dash Radio, Nothing But Net Radio, and Spotify. 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 I'm shocked that they let us on. I'm. We got rejected a while ago, so I'm glad to see us back. Um, but thank you all for listening, and happy Thanksgiving to everybody. I hope you all stay safe. Peace.